This morning's scripture reading will be from Matthew, the 18th chapter. The Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses uh, 21 through 35. <clears throat> in the Pew Bible, that will be page 868 in a pew in front of you. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he has begun to settle them, there was, there was brought to him one who owed him ten thousand talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and the repayments to be made. The slave, therefore falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have, have patience with me, and I will repay everything, repay you everything. And the, Lord, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and repaid and released him and forgave him the debt. And the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And the Lord and his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he could repay all that was owed. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It's always good to have visitors. You being here encourages us, and we hope that we can encourage you. If you will, be sure and take out a card, and there's one for members, one for visitors. Fill it out, and be sure and put on a name tag, and that way we can all make sure that we can get to know each other better. Uh, God's family is a wonderful place. It's a place that we can build each other up and help each other along the way to heaven. We're not walking there alone. We're walking there with with all the others that are walking there, and with the potential of those that we can reach out together along the way. So let's make sure that we're constantly reaching out. Uh, make sure that after services this morning, you continue to reach out. We are sad to announce that Linda Bingham's son, and it's Donna Hudson's grandson, passed away in a house fire yesterday. And let's remember uh, to pray for them as well as the other families that have been mentioned. 
When we think about the many ways God blesses us, as Griff has already mentioned, we are so thankful for the generous contribution that was given last week. But before we even talk about that, I guess we would be uh, amiss if we didn't say we're thankful for the generous way God has blessed us. Isn't that wonderful the way God's blessings work? He blesses His people and then He expects His people to give generously. And then He promises if they do give generously that He'll give generously in return. So before the contribution Sunday, God had already given generously. And then what a wonderful blessing that His people gave generously. It's like the fellow that he stood before a crowd at the time that there was a lot of money needed in order to build a building. And he said, the good news, we have the money. The bad news, it's in your pockets. Uh, But see, we don't have to say that here. The good news is we have the money and the good news is you're very generous and you gave it. And now, uh, just for what it's worth, I want to encourage you, all of you that gave sacrificially last week, I want to encourage you to be looking over the next few weeks and months and watch the ways that God gives back to you. Uh, To me, that's one of the most awesome things to watch every time we're generous to see how God always returns it. And that always restores, or maybe not restores, that builds our faith even greater. So be be looking for that. Also, as mentioned, uh, be uh, thankful for the opportunity we have to pray all day long. Come here any uh, top of the hour all the way even up to 10 o'clock. There will be individuals that will start praying in here at 10 o'clock tonight. And, uh, and that prayer will probably conclude about 10.30 or quarter 11. Uh, but throughout the day, be sure and do that. There are schedules out in the foyer on the yellow sheets of paper. There are prayer request forms out there. And you can submit those in the box there. We're praying for every member, every ministry, every prayer request. And uh, we look forward to that throughout the day. As we continue our topic of loving and lasting relationships, we have talked about so many times that relationships are not necessarily easy. Today we talk about a topic that's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And so we'll begin right up here and I hope we'll move all the way around this room and say I'm ready to accept a challenge. I'm ready to do something that I will do for God that I would never do if I were not God's child. Are you ready for that challenge this morning? I'll do things for God that I would never do if I were not God's child. You know, about two years ago, October two years ago, Uh, We heard the terrible news that we have heard far too frequently in America today. Uh, We heard about a school shooting in Pennsylvania. This was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You will remember it because it was the school shooting that took place in an Amish schoolhouse. Any of you that have driven through Lancaster, Pennsylvania know that it's probably one of the most beautiful counties in this nation. Uh, I was amazed the first time I drove through that area to see not only the beautiful farms, but, but the way those farms are maintained and the houses there, and then to see such little utilities. You don't have the, the visual pollution of all of our modern things that surround their community because there's about 20,000 old order Mennonites that live there. They don't have electricity. They don't have running water, but they keep their farms immaculate. Every home looks fresh painted. Every barn looks fresh painted. They even trim around their houses with white gravel creating an edge. Absolutely a beautiful setting. So quiet, so peaceful, except for that day. That day when Charles Roberts came in, and no one is still exactly sure why, even though we left four suicide notes. 
There was something about something in this man's life, although he was only 32 years of age, that happened 20 years ago, that he felt like needed to settle vengeance. And so he goes into this schoolhouse and he lets the ladies go, he lets the men go, he lets the boys go, and he holds back only the girls. And then he begins to bind them, board up the building, and shoot them execution style shooting ten of them, five of them pass away, four are, are very much improved today, and one is still in a wheelchair, and, and she reclines back, and they say that she can smile and recognize family, and that she seems so happy and content at this time. As we heard that story, it broke our hearts, but there was, as always, second and third reports, except these reports that followed this story are not like the reports that have followed every other school shooting. You see, the stories that begin to flood not only our nation, but even internationally, were stories reporting what this community's reaction was to the shooter and to his family. You see, the day that Charles Roberts did his unthinkable deeds hurting, harming, killing so many innocent little girls. Those girls' families either went themselves or sent representatives to his family. By 9 o'clock that evening, there was an official statement of forgiveness, love, compassion, and reaching out to his widow Marie and to their children. One report was that there was an Amish man that held Charles Roberts' father for an hour while he sobbed about his son's death and what he had done. When the money began to pour in to pay for the very expensive medical bills for the five young ladies that were in the hospital, the Amish decided to take a portion of that and give to the widow and to her children also. At least 30 of them attended his funeral. And even though their funerals of their children were closed, she was invited to come to their funerals. She wrote this statement in return to her Amish neighbors. She said, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion, note that word, that's biblical. When you look at forgiveness in the Bible, you're going to see the word compassion linked with it. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely Thank you. Instead of vengeance, this community chose forgiveness. Instead of hateful deeds, this family chose alms deeds. Instead of spiteful words, this family and this community spoke love. Instead of doing what the flesh would require, this community chose to do what God had taught them. 
this morning. No one will practice this subject based on your fleshly nature. Based upon the way that you're just a good person. The topic we study this morning is only of God. The topic of forgiveness is taught as already capably read in a beautiful fashion in Matthew the 18th chapter. It is beautiful. It is challenging. And it's in this setting that I'd like to take your eyes back. If you have your Bible open on your pew Bible, it's 868. Go back up to verse 20 and I'd like for you to see a word that oftentimes we state this verse as we think about things like prayer day today where just a few of us gather together. In verse 20 we read, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. And what's interesting is that the Lord is talking about how He is close to His people and there are special times where the communion with God and His people seem to even be magnified. And if I were going to ask you right now, when is a time in your life that you've been especially close to God? I want to challenge your thinking that this morning... I'm not doubting that the time that you thought that you were close to God, that you weren't. I'm not questioning that. I'm simply also asking you to think about the fact that there are probably times that we don't feel so close to God that God would say, you are the closest you've ever been to me. You see, I like to think of verse 20 here as kind of the meat, the very core of this whole chapter. You see, as we lead up to this chapter, and I'd like for you to just scan a few verses with me. In the 18th chapter, beginning of verse 1, we have the disciples and their pride and arrogance wanting to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Pause there for just a moment. You see what he's working to. He's working to verse 20. Who are you close to? God. God. Who are you close to? And he's saying, I'm not close to the proud and to the arrogant. I'm more closely related to these little children. They're not proud. They're not arrogant. And then beginning at verse 6, he teaches another very powerful story about not being the stumbling block. Not being the one that offends people. Instead, God wants us to be the stepping stone to help people come to Him. Notice how it would take intentional compassion there. How are we going to help others? We have to be aware, number one, that they exist. Number two, we have to be aware of what they need if we're ever going to reach out and to help them. And then that brings us to verse, 20, verse 10. And in verse 10, we see the parable of the teaching of the hundred sheep and one goes astray. Who's going to leave the ninety and nine and go after the one? Again, we're looking at something that's very intentional. Do you notice when someone's missing? Do you notice when someone's hurting? Do you leave the comfortable surroundings to go to the one that's hurting? Someone shedding a tear in a room. Do you act like they're not crying? Or are you one of the ones that leave the 99 that are in comfort and go to the one that's hurting? It's in this setting that the Lord is just building on this teaching. Who's humble? Who's proud? Who's willing to build others up? Who will be a stumbling block? Who will go after the one that is astray? And then... He gives, beginning at verse 15, a powerful teaching. Okay, the one has gone astray. Who's going to be the one to go to them one-on-one and beg them to return? If they don't return, who's going to be the one to go and bring somebody else with them so two or three of them can sit down? And if they won't do that, who's going to be the one to bring it to the church and say, look, we have a brother, we have a sister. Look at the situation. Something needs to be done. Who can reach them? Let's pray about this. Let's make it happen. Does that describe us? It's in that setting that we read verse 20 that I'd like to read again. 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Two or three people that one has harmed the other. Perhaps both have hurt each other. And God is saying, I want you to sit down. I want you to talk about it. I want you to work it out. If repentance needs to be made, I want you to repent. If forgiveness needs to be given, I want you to forgive. But I want you to know that when two or three sat down for righteous resolution, I'm in the midst of those two or three people. Now Matthew chose to record that verse and then immediately use that as a setup for verse 21 where Peter comes along the 18th chapter and 21. And there are a lot that's said about the Jewish tradition. Most will say that the Jewish tradition was that if someone came and, and offended you and harmed or hurt you, that you would forgive them once. And if they came and they harmed you again, that very same person in the very same way, you'd forgive them a second time. Some of the Jewish tradition says you would even do it a third time, but beyond that, you would have no requirement of righteousness to ever forgive that person of that very same deed more than three times. Because in the Jews' eyes, that was higher than what anybody else would do. That's not higher than what anyone else would do. Peter comes along and he speaks of even a higher standard. Peter comes along and he asks in verse 21, Lord, what if we forgive seven times? And the Lord in this setting gives him the answer in 22. I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. Some of your translations will say 77 as if the Lord were adding the two numbers of 70 and 7. Others will say 70 times 7, as if the Lord was multiplying 490 being the answer. You see, the point is this. The Lord is saying, we don't calculate forgiveness as it relates to 2 plus 2 is 4. 5 plus 1 is 6. 6 plus 1 is 7. Now I've forgiven you 7 times, I don't have to forgive you again. Friends, if our idea of forgiveness is I'm going to do it on some kind of fleshly terms so that it makes sense to my flesh, it'll never be done. The only time you and I will practice forgiveness the way in which it is designed for us to practice it is when we stop looking at it from a fleshly, from a human aspect and instead... We look at it based upon what the Lord has done for us. And because we are God's children, this is what we will do. Let me emphasize that. Because we are God's children, this is what we will do. Not because what you have done to me, I'll forgive you. Not because what you have not done to me, I'll forgive you. But because I am God's child, I will forgive you. Now with this in mind, we have one of the longest parables that's taught by Jesus Christ, that's recorded in the Scriptures. And it's interesting that it's really a very simple parable to show us God's message on forgiveness. As we think about this parable, I'd like for you to notice in verse 24 that there was a master that had a debtor. 
And he calls this debtor to him that owed him at the end of 24, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. I want you to think about another parable that you know pretty well. And a master gave five talents and two talents and one talent. Do you see the difference in money? We're talking about what some have calculated and said, the tax income for the five provinces that made up Palestine of their day would have been no more than 800 talents a year. And so we're talking about a national budget. And this man's debt is more than 10 times the national budget. This man's debt, some have equated to 150,000 years salary for one man. In other words... This man owed a debt that it was absolutely impossible for any single person to repay it. But when he begged for mercy, if you will, look down at verse 27. The master of that servant was moved, here it is, with compassion and released him and forgave him of his debt. Forgiveness is about a humble, compassionate decision. Now I want you to note here two things. Forgiveness requires me to see the other and recognize the fact that yes, they did harm me. But I still feel or can somewhat identify with them as a person. Pause here for just a moment. A parable, another one that you probably know well and probably love dearly. It's usually one of the best known parables in the scriptures. If I say to you, the good Samaritan, you know that there was a man that was robbed. He was beaten. He was left half dead, probably there to die. A priest and a Levite see him and each passes by on the other side. But there comes a Samaritan who because of his race, we would think that he would not do anything to help this man, but the Scriptures tells us that he saw him and had compassion. And he went and he bandaged his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took and cared for him at an inn, paid his, his way through the inn and for the innkeeper to take care of him. And then the Lord asked the question there, who was the neighbor? And the answer is the one who had compassion upon him. What does the Lord here teach about forgiveness? It's how we see people in this sense. Can we see people and have compassion? But more than anything, it's about a decision. I must make a decision to not seek vengeance. To not act out on what has been done to me. I make a decision to not retaliate. I make a decision to practice the love of God. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we begin in verse 4 with the definition of love. And it says this, Love suffers long and is kind. Now I want you to think about that Amish community. What did they do? How would you define forgiveness? I don't know a better way to define forgiveness than the first two characteristics of love. What does love do? It suffers long. In other words, did you hurt me? Yes, you hurt me. Did you injure me? Yes, you injured me. You took the life of my daughters. You wounded our community. 
We have children that are going to carry burdens physically in their life as long as they live. Did you wound me? That Amish community could cry out, absolutely, yes, we have suffered long with this situation. Well, what are we going to do? Love suffers long and is kind. Friend, if our idea of turning the other cheek seems difficult, go ahead and put the whole definition of Christianity with that. And the whole definition is turn the other cheek and then look for a way to do something good. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is when we not only do not retaliate, but when we strive to give goodness in return. It's challenging, but it's beautiful. And if we fail to do it, we are the ones who lose out. Now, as we see this story, notice there's a second debt that comes into play beginning at 28. This same man that's been forgiven of his debt goes out and he finds a man that owes him a hundred denarii. This is such a small amount of money that if we were going to compare the two sums, the first sum of 10,000 talents would be equivalent to $20 million dollars. And this amount here would be equivalent to $20. So here's a man that's just been forgiven the debt of $20 million. His family was about to be sold. He was about to be sold. All of his possessions were going to be sold. And he was forgiven. And so he walks out and finds a man that owes him $20. He cannot repay it. He grabs the man by the throat, demands for it to be repaid. And when the man just asks for patience that he can repay him later... He throws him into prison. In this, we see that those bystanders, bystanders, if you look in 31, they were very grieved. They told the master what had happened. And when we drop down to 34, it says the master was angry and delivered him. So he calls the man back before him that had been forgiven much. And he says, delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now note this. Now this man that was originally forgiven of his debt is sent to be tortured until he could pay back his debt. And of course, that would be for a lifetime. Now we say, what is he being punished for? Is he being punished because he owed a debt? No. See, that's the beauty of this parable. He is showing how serious God takes our lack of forgiving others. In other words, in this parable, Jesus is saying, I will forgive you of debts that are far beyond what you could ever repay. But what I won't overlook is when you won't forgive others. What a challenge. What a challenge. We have an original debtor. We have the small debtor that he addressed. We have those standing by that were watching. And we have the master who represents the father. As we close, I'd like for you to see four points to learn from this. Jesus gave an illustration of forgiveness. First, we must see ourselves at the foot of the cross 
or we will never continue to forgive others as they sin against us. In Colossians, the third chapter, verse 12 is a description of our holiness, our tender mercy, our long-suffering. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I'm not going to forgive others unless I first see myself at the foot of the cross saying, Lord, I recognize what you've done for me. I'm greatly appreciative of what you've done for me. And I hear your teachings, Lord. Just as you have forgiven me, now you tell me I must go out and forgive others. Not because of who they are, because of you, God, being my God. I heard the story, and of course you will know that it's not a true story, but the principle is true, of a man who, who decided to go for a walk because he was so angry. He thought about some situation in his life where he thought was very unfair and he was angry at God about them. He thought about some situations at work where people had been so unfair to him and he was so angry at them. He, he thought about some family members and, and how he'd been mistreated through the years and his anger was so great. Finally, he stopped by an oak tree and he bowed his head and went to his knees and he began to pray. And he asked God, I don't know exactly what to pray, but I want you to help me. All I know is that you teach me to forgive and I'm having a very hard time forgiving because I don't think I deserve this. I don't think the things that's happened to my family, I don't think I deserve it. Some ways I've been hurt at work, I don't think I deserve it. Some things that have happened that my family has done to me, I don't think I deserve it. And as he opened his eyes, that oak tree had become a square piece of lumber. And as his eyes started looking upward, he felt a drop of blood drop to his shoulder. He looked up and he saw the foot of a man that was being crucified. And he lifted his eyes further and he saw our Lord. And his Lord dying on the cross, looked down and said, I didn't deserve it either. Friends, when we talk about how wonderful it is to be forgiven, this morning if I ask you, are you saved? If you can say, yes, I'm saved, what you're saying is you're saying that Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross for you. He didn't deserve that. He took my sin and your sin to the cross. He didn't deserve it. And so when I say, Lord, I want you to forgive me, I'm asking God to do something. He does not deserve it. But the question that I ask He'll answer by His grace and His mercy and He'll extend it to us. But then He'll say, but my children, they carry that same forgiving nature over to other people. Friends, if you want to be forgiven of a debt that you do not deserve to be forgiven of, you have to conform and be transformed into Jesus to say, I'll forgive others. But second, 
We also must begin to see the offender through new eyes. For time's sake, let me just mention a passage to you. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, we read in verse 16 and 17 about we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And because we're a new creation, we no longer view the flesh the same. Friends, if we're standing here today giving a motivational speech from a fleshly standpoint, we could not talk about this topic the way we're talking about it today. It doesn't make sense from a fleshly standpoint. But when we stand here today and we say we are new creation, Jesus Christ has transformed us, now we have new eyes. And so that individual that has hurt us, we no longer see ourselves that we are supposed to put them in their place. That's where road rage comes from. That's where domestic abuse comes from. That's where little uh, molehills turn into huge mountains. And God says, I want you to see the offender through new eyes. I want you to see them as one that you should forgive. But then third, I want to take your eyes back to the bystanders that were standing there. And we must show others God's forgiveness. You see, the bystanders in 31, it says they were very grieved. I hope as a church family, That we have the nature of Christ about us to the extent that if we see someone harm our brother and sister in Christ and that brother or sister will not forgive them, I hope we have a church family that grieves. I want you to think about that. We're out of time. I don't have time to develop it, but I want you to think about that. If we have a church family and one of our brothers and sisters in Christ are hurt because someone out in the community does something to violate them and then we gather around as a church family and we say, go get them! You get them. And then when they get them back, we say, yeah, they deserved it. We are pitiful. That is not God's children. God's children grieve when they see brothers and sisters in Christ that do not show forgiveness. And then fourth, we need to see the heart of God. This verse closes, this story closes out in 35 by talking about God's heart. God's heart is a heart that is full of grace and mercy. I want to close this lesson by reading. You're going to remember this because you have oftentimes sung it. But think about it afresh. This is a description of our Lord. Lamentations 3, beginning in 22. Though the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Why aren't we consumed? Why aren't you destroyed right now for your sins? Because God's compassion is giving us the opportunity to make our life right with him. What about his mercy? What about his compassion? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, do we forgive three times? Do we forgive seven times? And the Lord says, I start every day with a fresh slate. A a life and an attitude and a heart of mercies. Ennis Miller had two daughters to die. And shortly after this event, he couldn't sleep on a Wednesday morning. And he got up before daylight and he just started walking around his community. A reporter trying to get a story was out before daylight also. 
stopped and visited with him. And the reporter asked, Have you forgiven the man that killed your daughters? And he said, In my heart, yes. Only through God's help. We can't do this one alone. It's only by God's help. This morning, are you God's? Are you God's child? Are you living God's way? Are you seeing through God's eyes? Do you see a a master that loves you? And are you showing that master to others by the way you love and by the way you forgive? Friends, this morning, this isn't to be just a lesson on forgiveness. I want to challenge every one of us. If we have a relationship that's hurting, that's broken, I want to challenge you. Do today what God would want you to do to forgive the other. If you've never been baptized into Christ, or if you have and you've fallen away and want to come back, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand.